If you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to open it up to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking more in depth of, admittedly, the very challenging teaching of Jesus that Pastor Nate just read, turning the other cheek, loving your enemies, praying for those who hurt you in some way, who persecute you. While you're doing that, I want to also show you a picture. This is Captain Louis Zapparini, United States Air Force, around 1942. He served in World War II. Some of you may know that name. Uh, Zapparini was featured in a film called Unbroken about 10 years ago. The true story of his life and some of the things that he endured, including being uh, shipwrecked, or I'm sorry, uh, his plane crashed in the ocean, uh, upon impact, uh, eight of the 11 crewmen, airmen, died instantly. He and a couple of other airmen survived. They got onto a raft and for 47 days in the Pacific Ocean, lived on fish they happened to catch, a bird landed on the raft, rainwater coming in. This was their survival, 47 days, only to then wash up ashore of a Japanese-controlled island where they were taken into custody. They were sent to a notorious work prison camp, one of the toughest ones in all of Japan during the war, where he experienced for a year and a half unbelievable torture, beatings. Uh, there was a guard there by the name of The Bird. That's what the prisoners nicknamed him. He found out that Zapparini was also a world-famous athlete. He had actually ran the 1,500 meters in the Berlin Olympics, 1931, found out who he was, and for sport, to keep the guards entertained, they uh, would take Zapparini at the end of the workday, so he hasn't hardly eaten any food. He's been working all day, and then he had to race some of the prison guards. And if he won, he got to go back to his cell, but if he lost, he was beaten by the soldiers who had betted on him as part of the games. They got to come and just beat him. More than once, he was beaten to within an inch of his life for a year and a half. Well, the war ended in uh, 1945, and Zapparini goes home to California, gets married, but like we know now, so many soldiers who come back from war struggle with PTSD. He had the same thing. He could not let go of the torture in which he experienced. He could not let go of his need for justice, for revenge, and he quickly turned to drinking. That drinking turned into full-blown alcoholism. He was a verbally abusive man, and it got so bad, his wife, in desperation, gave him an ultimatum, said, Lewis, you need to either get help or you need to get out. Now, if you've seen that movie, as you hear that story, chances are you have some empathy for a guy like Lewis Zamperini. After all, it wasn't his fault. You know, he didn't choose to be in a Japanese prison camp. It was the hands of evil men doing evil things to him that caused him to come back and, and turn to alcohol for a way to cope, these horrible night terrors that he was having. And maybe you hear that story and you yourself, inside your heart, you want some justice. You want some revenge for a guy like Zapparini or maybe for your own life and ways in which you've been treated poorly by another person. And you say to God in your heart out loud, God, why do you allow this kind of evil to happen and to go unpunished? They deserve to be punished. And then we come to church and you open up your Bibles and Pastor Nate stands up here and he reads this teaching of Jesus where Jesus gives no degree of the evil in which you're supposed to forgive. He's very inclusive here of all evil and he simply says if somebody, an evil person, does something to you, you are to not only forgive them, but what does he say? Actually pray for those who persecute you. How in the world 
are we supposed to live this incredibly difficult teaching? This is our task today. We're going to look through verse by verse on what Jesus is teaching because at the very end, as we think about this in perhaps a new way today, what Jesus wants to do is show you something, teach you something that can be radically transformative to your spiritual walk with him and can be radically transforming to your walk with your fellow human being. So let's dive in. And the first thing I want to do, if you look with me at verse 38 and 43, Jesus sets up this teaching by comparing some of the popular morality of the day. Uh, 38, he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, this is actually straight out of Scripture. Exodus chapter 21, the law of Moses, you know, pre-Jesus. You may not like this but this is the form of justice that God instilled in the people of Israel. There were no lawyers. There were no trial courts. This is how God did justice in the Old Testament, where it says, if there's any harm against you, you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. So if you're an Israelite in those days and somebody walks up to you, punches you in the mouth, knocks out a tooth, under the system of law, the system of justice, you would then go and enact your own justice on that person, punch them in the mouth, and knock a tooth out. That was justice. But the second saying, if you look with me at 43, it says, you have also heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is not in the Bible. In fact, in Leviticus and in the Proverbs, the Bible says that you are to actually uh, uh, not hold anything against your enemy. This was even in the Old Testament, this idea of, of loving an enemy. But the saying arose from a particular group of people, a people known as the Essenes. They had lived in the land for centuries upon centuries, and the only thing they had known in all their existence was um, occupation by different armies, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, and now the Romans, and they had so much animosity, so much hatred for the people and the way in which they were treated that this saying arose, a proverb that goes like this, love all the sons of light and hate all the sons of darkness. This was a well-known phrase, a well-known greeting even, and it goes like this. Look, if you're an Israelite, then you show love and you treat them well, but if you come across a Roman, especially an enemy of the state, then you hate them. You turn your heart outward towards them in an evil way. This is what happens. Unchecked anger, unchecked sense of revenge leads to statements like these, and this is the reality, this is the moral reality of the people in those days, the Israelites who were listening to Jesus teach and knowing that, and being the good teacher that he was, he doesn't let him stay comfortable with that line of thinking, and he gives five different ways in which you should think differently than the current culture of the day. Five different things. And let's unpack those because there's some things that we can learn because we don't live in that culture, and they might mean a little bit different to them than they might to us. Let's go to 39. But Jesus says, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And I'll admit to you, before uh, I started studying for, on this text, I always thought that this was an act of violence. So if somebody punches you in the face, Jesus is saying, look, somebody punches you in the face, just turn the other cheek, let him punch you in the other face. That's actually not what Jesus is saying here. Because in these days, in this culture, to slap somebody on the face was actually more of an insult. It was a way to show that you were morally superior, that you were inferior to this other person. And so to insult somebody, you'd walk right up to them and you'd slap them in the face. Now that could turn into a violent altercation, but that wasn't the intent. It was a way to insult somebody to show that you were better than them. And he continues. 
If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. This is pretty obvious to us. We understand. We live in a litigious society. We know what that means. But the degree in which Jesus is asking you to give back is far more intense than maybe you've thought of before. Uh, the tunic was your inner garment, so think your T-shirt, you know, your undershirt. But the cloak, commentators say, or common, commentators will tell you, were so expensive that for most people, poor middle-class people, they could only afford one of these outer garments in their entire life. It was far more economical when you get a rip, when you get a tear, to have it sewed up than to go out and buy another one because most people just couldn't afford that. So what Jesus is really asking you to do is if somebody sues you for your undershirt, give them your $1,000 parka as well. And he goes on. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now this is a direct teaching about the state of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, the law said that if a a group of soldiers were walking down the road and they run into you, uh, by law, Roman soldiers could ask you to carry any of their gear. If they were tired from their journey and they didn't want to carry their shield or their backpack, they'd say, oh, you're a citizen here. You have to go with me a mile, two miles, three miles. And Jesus says to people who are living in an occupied state who don't like the government, if they ask you to do that, don't just go one mile, double it up, go with them too. And he moves away from the personal affronts against your freedom, and he starts talking about your pocketbook. When he says, when somebody comes to beg from you, don't refuse them, and don't refuse the one who would borrow from you. In other words, unbridled generosity. And this, again, thinking about the culture of the time, there's no social security, there's no Medicaid, the government's not going to come in, and so if you lose the ability to work, if you don't have a family who can take care of you, you were absolutely at the mercy of the generosity of others. That's why we see so many stories in the Bible and the gospel readings of people begging outside the temple because that was the only way they had to survive. And Jesus says, don't think about why they're not working. Don't worry about why they're on the street begging. That's not your concern. I'm asking you to be generous with the things that I've given you. Be generous with the money that I've given you. You give it away to others. Do not refuse. And if those four were not hard enough, Jesus concludes with this. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Think of your greatest enemy. Somebody who's wronged you, somebody who's hurt you in a terrible way. Jesus says, don't hate them. You're actually supposed to love them. And don't stop there. Pray for those who persecute you. And when you put these all together, let's make a little scorecard for ourselves this morning. Uh, how are you doing? You know, maybe on a good day, two for five. This morning I woke up, I'm like, I really have to preach this today? Oh, this is not looking good. How are you doing? Now, I know that there's a lot of teachers, there's a lot of motivational speakers. There's a lot of pastors even who look at this list and they would say to you, well, listen, this is what Jesus is trying to say. He, he just wants you to try harder. He just wants you to, to be a genuinely better person. So when you wake up today and, you know, you see somebody on the street, just give them a few pennies, just give them a few dollars and, and then go along your way. You've seen t-shirts that say, be a good person. 
You've seen t-shirts that say, be kind, be nice. This is what some people believe. They, they look at this and they say, oh, this is what Jesus is actually trying to teach. Until you get to verse 48. What does he say? Jesus concludes it with this. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You must be perfect, Jesus says. He's not lowering the bar. He's elevating the bar. He's raising it. And so then we have to ask ourselves, well, listen, this is impossible. Nobody in this room has lived this way. How is it fair for Jesus to give us a teaching that's impossible to fulfill? What is Jesus up to? What is he doing to give us this command that we couldn't possibly do in the first place? This isn't fair, Jesus, we might say. Unless that's actually the point that Jesus is trying to make, that as good as we try to be, we fall short. As much as we want to be perfect and be a good person and be kind and be nice, we can't. We fall short time and time again. And this is exactly where Jesus wants you to be this morning. It's as if Jesus was up here saying, do I finally have your attention? You are to be perfect. That's what the law commands. There's consequences when we don't break the law. You are to be perfect, but you can't. You fall short over and over again. And this, my friends, is why I came. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus was perfect in every way. The Bible tells us that he is the only one to never sin. And in his his sinlessness, he gave up his perfection. He gave up everything so that we, in our imperfect moments, would know that we have one in Jesus that we can turn to. When we don't live up to the letter of the law, when we fall short, we have someone in Jesus that we can look to, that we can find our hope in, that we can trust in, in our darkest moments. And no matter what you've done, I mean, There's things that we have done collectively in this room. You as an individual, you have done some things, you have said some things, and I know because I've worked in a church for 20 years that for some of you, it keeps you up at night. And you wonder deep down inside your head, inside your heart, like, will God really forgive me for this thing? And we try to do these things to make up for God, for the things that we've done, the way in which we've wronged people. We try to do these things. What Jesus would say to you today is, no, I forgive you the second you asked I forgive you. And so then when we look at all this and we think about the wonderful news that Jesus gave up his perfected state, he gave up his perfection so that we imperfect people could have somebody to turn to. It's kind of like Jesus is saying this, and if you could help me with this slide. If God can forgive you for the things that you have done wrong, if God can forgive you for your sins, then he can help you Forgive those who have sinned against you. Let me say that again. If God can forgive you for the terrible things that you have done, then God can help you forgive those who have wronged you. You see, you cannot do it yourself, and you've got to stop trying. This is not about mustering up the strength inside your heart. This is not about being a good person. This is about simply resting in the wonderful, beautiful grace that you have in Jesus Christ, your Savior, who has washed you clean that you can look out into the world and you can find not the forgiveness in your own heart but the forgiveness that Jesus has for you. Louis Zapparini was given an ultimatum. His wife said, get help or get out. 
And he was at the very end of his rope. He didn't know what to do. He had no way to, to fix himself. And it just so happened that a young preacher by the name of Billy Graham had come to Los Angeles where he was living, and he was going to give a sermon at this place. And his wife said to him, you will come with me to this sermon. And Lewis didn't want to, but he knew that he had to. And so very reluctantly, he went in, and he listened to a Billy Graham sermon. I want to show you a short clip. It's at the very end of my slides, by the way, since I'm lost on my thing in the back. Thank you for your help. Let's watch a short clip from a documentary about his life on what happened next. Louis was saved by his wife's insistence that he go to see a sermon by Billy Graham, who at that time was a very young man, not very well known, but he was speaking in Los Angeles. Louis didn't want to go, but his wife was going to leave him. And he agreed on that basis to go see him speak. And he sat in the back of the audience and he was unhappy and he was sullen, but Graham spoke of things that resonated with Louis, with his experience about how God reaches into people's lives and helps them get through things that seem unsurvivable. I think all the prisoners have basically made the same prayer. Get me home alive to my family, God, and I'll seek you, I'll serve you, and you make promises while you're under a dire situation. But uh, how many of them keep their promise? I didn't. And so my life fell apart. And it was at that moment that he made this realization to, to himself that he thought God had actually helped him through this, and he owed God something. And he realized what he needed to do. So I went forward in the meeting and made my confession of faith in Christ, and I couldn't believe what happened. While I was still on my knees, my life changed in a matter of moments because I knew I was through getting drunk, and I knew that I forgave my guards, and I knew it was a miracle because I forgave the bird. <laughs> and, and that was the first night. The first night in two and a half years, I didn't have a nightmare, and I haven't had one since. And Louis realized that God can forgive him for all the rotten things he did in his life, that he ought to be able to forgive those that had done him wrong. So forgiving the guards and the bird uh, was actually salvation for him. It really turned him around in an instant. He decided he needed to test his forgiveness to see if he really had truly achieved it. And he went back to Japan to meet the guards who had, who had abused him so terribly. And he went to Sagama prison where they were all being held for war crimes. He went to every single one and looked him in the eye and told him that he forgave him for mm -hmm. the treatment that he received when he was a prisoner of war. He felt no animosity. He just felt compassion and they couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. It was, it was a wonderful experience. He knew he had truly forgiven them. I think it's incredible that he forgave them. That's a lesson that he taught my father and me. By hating somebody, I'm not hurting them. I'm only hurting myself. You can forgive anybody. Forgiveness is always possible. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that forgiveness is possible, but the good news is it's not up to us. We have one in Jesus that we can rely on, we can look to, we can heal our own hearts, and through that wonderful work of forgiveness and healing, 
can flow out of us into the lives of those around us. And it's in the name of Jesus we say, Amen.